Welcome to Believe in Baltimore, a podcast conversation with community leaders and change makers in Baltimore, Maryland, hosted by Govins Presbyterian Church. We welcome local leaders to share about their work in Charm City, as well as their hopes and dreams for our community. We also read and discuss a short Bible passage with our guests, and outside of religious expectations, we'll see if we can shed a little light on our modern efforts to make the world just a little bit better. We're your hosts, Reverend Tom Harris, Senior Pastor at Govins Presbyterian Church. And Reverend Billy Klutz, Associate Pastor here at Govins. And we believe in Baltimore. Woo! Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Believe in Baltimore. Today, we have two very special guests, Megan and Shane Carpenter, who are the founders, owners, and operators of Hex Ferments. If you love kombucha, sauerkraut, or kimchi, you may already know about Hex. They've been making these delicious fermented foods right here in Baltimore since 2013, when they sold out at their first farmer's market, and in the same year, opened their storefront in Belvedere Square. Today, you can find their products in grocery stores and markets from Washington, D.C. to New Jersey and from Cleveland, Ohio to Louisville, Kentucky. Yet despite their growth and success, they remain committed to Baltimore and will soon be opening their new kitchen and store right down the street from Govins Presbyterian Church on York Road. So we are thrilled by this investment in our community and so excited to have them on our show. Welcome, Megan and Shane. Oh, thanks for having us. This is uh, such a treat um, to talk with you, uh, Tom and Billy, about, um, yeah, our our lovely city, Baltimore. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Appreciate it. And, and um, thanks so much for reaching out and having us. Oh, we're, thank you for giving us the t- your time. So tell us a little bit about uh, yourself. Tell us about Hex Ferment. Megan? Sure. <laughs> Um, so, um, I'm originally from, uh, Minnesota and I moved here in, uh, uh, early two thousands. I'd never been to Baltimore before. I, I'd only knew of Baltimore from John Waters films and, um, Billie Holiday and just, you know, Orioles. And, and, um, the first thing that struck me about the city was how friendly everybody was. Um, I was shocked at just walking down the street and people were so, so warm and welcoming and not, not really usual <laughs> where I'm from. Um, and then I actually stayed here and um, went on to get my master's from the Maryland Institute in interdisciplinary studies. And I uh, ended up teaching at MICA in their general fine arts program as an adjunct faculty member for five years. And um, during that time, I um, was uh, falling in love with my, uh, at the time boyfriend Shane, now husband Shane. And uh, we were really interested in um, putting some roots down here in Baltimore. And um, we invested in a house and started growing a lot of our own food and um, really falling in love with um, learning more about our community, but also the needs of um, fresh food access here in Baltimore. Yeah, food (laughs) played a role all throughout. And I briefly talked uh, with you, Tom, a little bit about um, our, our, our meeting uh, initially over food and, um, and bubbling ferments and kombucha. But um, yeah, so 
coincidentally also from the upper Midwest, from South Dakota, uh, grew up amidst um, fields of corn and soy, industrial agriculture in general, um, and took a circuitous route through much of the West and many varying interests from environmental studies to biology to wildlife management um, that of course led me to photography um, where I graduated from the University of Washington in Seattle after 10 years of six different <laughs> schools. Um, but I was, I was pleased because I was the first in my family to graduate um, college. Um, and then moved here from Seattle as image making evolved and social media and digital photography and my love for the craft that kind of was changing as I made a profession of it. Um, while I was extremely grateful, I was a little disillusioned with just uh, image making technology and sought to uh, reconnect with things that felt um, meaningful to me. And a big part of that was remembering a lot of the farms I'd worked on both when I was young and when I was in my late teens, when I went woofing as they call it, it's an acronym, Willing Workers on Organic Farms. Um, and I did that, um, you know, traveling, hitchhiking in, in Europe and um, had a lot of really great experiences. That was where I first was introduced to a lot of fermented foods and kombucha. Um, but it was always this thing that I was, had this just mystique to it, but something that I would seek out um, wherever I lived. And um, Baltimore was no different in the seeking, but I didn't really find a lot of those foods. Um, and coincidentally, when I met Megan, she was not only familiar, but brewing kombucha. Um, and I had a jar of kimchi in my, in my fridge. So I guess that kind of, oh, and then we were growing vegetables. And when we first moved into our, our, our neighborhood in 2009, and we were fixing up our house, um, met a lot of neighbors and it became the de facto food preservation, um, kind of consultants, I don't know, um, <laughs> but started, started teaching, um, you know, our neighbors how to ferment and hot water bath, you know, veggies. And we were also making bread and doing a lot of other kitchen experiments. And the kombucha was always bubbling away on the counter as well, which intrigued 99% of people. Yeah. What do you think it is about about the about fermentation, about the making of kombucha and the crowd? Uh, why why are you so passionate about it, and why why are people just so interested in it? That's a good question. I I know for me, it's something that I grew up around. My grandmother made sauerkraut, and as a kid, I thought it was just this weird thing in the basement in a wood barrel that she made me go and get every Sunday for Sunday supper. And 
I, I was always kind of, I think, intrigued, but also a little scared of it as a kid. And then as I, I got older, I sought out, you know, just different, you know, kitchen work opportunities. And when I was in college, I worked at a co-op in Minneapolis and we made sauerkraut and kimchi. And I was just intrigued by the process at first, just how simple it is. And, and then watching something that's, you know, that was, you know, it was alive, it was growing, and then you're making it more alive. And, and there's something in, in almost enrapturing about that process. Um, you know, going from making just a gallon of it in your home, and it's so easy to do. And then suddenly it's, it's becomes known to you by sound and smell and the taste transforms for me, it's just endlessly magical to, to know that there's this un, you know, to our naked eye, you know, we can't see it unless we use a microscope, these microbial forces that are digesting and transforming and respirating and um, making these foods even more delicious, essentially, and good for us. Um, I love that. I, I love what you said, making it, taking something alive and making it more alive. I yeah, like it amazing. never gets old. It's, <laughs> it is, it's kind of an amazing paradox in that it has this mystique and, and magical quality to it, um, you know, as, as Megan mentioned. Wow, we have a lot in common with that. I, I know, <laughs> right? I thought that as I rolled out. I, I tell our staff, you know, we're, we're really just the stewards here. They're, the microbes are doing all the work. We're just making sure that they do their job well. And, and yet it's, it's so um, ubiquitous and has been in every culture on every continent as long as humans have walked the earth. Industrial food has, has really just ravaged uh, a lot of these traditional food foods and food ways um, like fermented vegetables like sauerkraut and kimchi and pickles and there's a lot of um, industrial shortcuts that unfortunately remove that living aspect of the food that um, we sensed when we were originally drawn to to it but you know intuitively but now you know through a lot of science around some you know microbiome and how much of human health that it governs uh from you know metabolism and digestion to brain function and it's kind of amazing how much microbes inform um how we as biological entities exist um but you know before antibiotics um this um was a lot easier um and before preservatives and before you know large scale manufacturing and um you know the industrialization of food in general um this is how humans all over earth um got live foods We've got microbes th through live foods into their bodies, into their inner ecosystem and through their environment. And yes, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
I love that. And I'm wondering, um, is this something that people are going to learn about when they see your new store on York Road? You know, something we really want to communicate in the new space is really just the plethora of what is produced right here in our city and our state and what people um, can learn from seeing the variety that's available to them that maybe they don't see somewhere else. Um, and just for a bit of context, so the new space will have a, a tasting room there um, that will you know, feature what we do, but also include um, you know, the abundance of our food shed. Um, along with the tasting room, we'll also expand on what we started to do more of at Belvedere Square, which is offering um, the, the, the goods produced by a lot of our friends and connections we've made, you know, now eight years in uh, through farmers markets and uh, various stores in the, in the region where a lot of these people aren't getting the recognition that they need or they're not connected to the people that might need it most. Um, but that's something we're hoping to expand on. And uh, it's something that we certainly ran up against. Uh, we just got lucky in that, you know, our inclination to make these foods, you know, were in demand in a commercial way. Yeah, I love that holistic uh, thought process about the community and what else is going on. And kind of in the same way, we noticed in preparing for the episode uh, that you're not only a B Corporation, but also you're using 100% renewable energy. Can you tell us more about that? Uh, sure. So uh, I'll just kind of review quick what a certified B Corporation is. It's a, it's a voluntary third-party audit, and you're rated on, um, well, they've expanded it. Um, when we first became a B Corp, it was three main umbrellas, which is community employees and the environment. And now they've expanded different sections to include um, governance and your suppliers, but it's a voluntary process. And we, um, we went into it because there's a lot of ways to do business for bad. And there's a lot of, like Shane was saying, a lot of shortcuts that we, and um, (laughs) we, we knew the basics, you know, like pay a good living wage, uh, you know, the benefits that you can be good to the environment, be good to your community, but what does that really mean at its core? And so looking at a B Corp model, they, they go through your business with a fine tooth comb and they're looking at everything. And it's really helped us learn what we can do as a small business. I mean, we're under 10 employees, you know, and that's including us. And so how do we grow with that those umbrellas in mind and what can we do to be better and better every single year. And so part of that, a big, the first big part of it for us was environment and community because it was just the two of us. And so we started with the bottle exchange program. And so we were one of the first kombucha companies on the East coast to do that in a successful way. And that right there, you know, we're, we've saved hundreds of thousands of bottles from going into the landfill. And that's just one component of 
that environmental picture. And one of the components was we could offset all of our energy to 100% renewable energy. And that was just like a no-brainer. That's amazing. Um, and it's so inspiring because, you know, everybody wants to make a living um, and make, you know, make money and, you know, pay the bills and whatnot. But it can be so challenging in our world today to find ways to do that, um, not just ethically, but in a way that actually contributes positively to the community. And it sounds to me like that's been a part of your business business model from the beginning is how can you be a, a, a business that, um, that sustains your, your own livelihood and is a positive influence on the community? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, um, we've, we've seen a lot in the last, you know, I mean, we've been in business for eight years, but like Shane was saying, you know, he was a photographer and in, in the events industry and I've, I've been in the arts and, and there's, there's a lot of really shady stuff you can do. And, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard. And, I, and I said, you know, like, um, I want to make a business as, as a place that I, I would want to work at if I was looking for a place to work and make a mm. living. And, um, that's always on the forefront of my mind. Like we're actually going through our B Corp recertification right now, and they make it harder and harder every time. Mm -hmm. But the beautiful thing is that you learn so much. And you learn again, like what are, what are even just the little micro things that we can do that would benefit, you know, everyone involved. And so, so it's, it's, it's a really, um, yeah, again, it's, it's kind of a no brainer for us. And yeah. I, th I think that's something else we have in common. And um, a, a phrase I often go back to is this idea of transcendent cause, you know, and you get to a certain age and you're like, what am I doing? And I'm like, what the heck? Even if you're like successful at it, um, you're like, what am I doing? Like what function is this serving and how can I be of service um, to others in a way that's meaningful? And turns out, we can plug in to, to our economy, you know, in this time and space of capitalism by, you know, putting things in jars and bottles. <laughs> um, but in the most uh, honest and integrity filled way that we can, um, we, you know, we wanted to um, be healthy we want to fulfill a lot of these just voids um, that have been created by industrial food. And I, you know, I, that is kind of like a, I kind of talk myself in circles with the, you know, what's happening there in industrial food. And it is, it's like a, it's a tragedy playing out before our eyes. And it's just like mostly unspoken. It's like the, um, it's like the unspoken food pandemic. Um, yeah. And so as you're, as you're doing that, as you're, you know, trying to be a good business and be a, a successful business, what are, what's one of the biggest challenges that you face, um, biggest hurdles you have to overcome and how can the community support you in, in that effort? For us, it's been um, one of the biggest challenges this year has been our supply chain. Mm. Um, 
people's eating habits have changed. And so, you know, March of last year, when we had to make a shift, um, it, you know, there were certain ingredients that we couldn't get to make our, our offerings because people were not eating at home anymore. Um, for example, today we're literally right up until our, our time together. Uh, we found out that we don't have lids for our jars because of what happened predominantly because of the climate change, um, forces that, you know, these big mega storms. And mm. apparently that substance that makes the lids is from Texas. Yeah. And they so, said, so 90% of these polypropylene plants are offline. And so now there's this, um, shortage and yeah, it's going to affect, you know, millions of producers. Another big challenge for us is finding people that want to make a career in food production fermentation. It's a job that might not sound very glamorous, you know? And so that's been, that's been a challenge for us as we grow is, um, finding team team members that food is their passion and they want to learn about fermentation. As far as the community goes, I, I don't think we could be more grateful and pleased with the support we've had. Um, you know, when we opened Belt in Belvedere Square, so many people would say, now, what is it? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, we make a sauerkraut <laughs> and kombucha. Do you make sauerkraut and what why do you make sauerkraut and <laughs> and uh that was mostly from i think people vetting it as a viable business idea and we're like yeah well we're gonna do it we think there's an audience and not only was there an audience like people just came out in droves with stories and um reminiscing and can you do this or could you, you do that this? and yeah. it was and it has been and it's consistent it's been consistent for eight years and i think i'm you know i'm very hopeful um but i i do think this will continue into our new space i love how focused you're on the community in every aspect. And I'm wondering why you believe in this community. We like to say that Govins believes in Baltimore and that's why we're doing this podcast. Is there a reason that comes to mind that you really believe in Baltimore? I personally believe in Baltimore because to me, it just, it feels like there's so much possibility here. And in Baltimore, I feel like in the almost 20 years that we've been here, it, it just, it, it stays true to itself. And I don't think you can find that in a lot of other, other, you know, East coast cities or, you know, even some West coast cities, like it's just authentic. Yeah. That's what I would say. It has an authenticity that I feel as someone who's lived in a bunch of different places and traveled and, you know, generally like interacting with people, which I'm, you know, thankful I get a little bit of still at the farmer's market, you know, behind a mask. Um, but yeah, there's this authenticity here that, um, you know, is really unique. Um, I, I still remember the 
stepping off the light rail in 2003 on Howard Street and uh, somebody mumbled something to me. Um, and I'm like, excuse me? I, I thought it was somebody asking for change or someone there. And they, and they said, have a blessed day. And I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> okay, you too. And that was it. And I thought, wait, why did he just tell me to have a blessed day? <laughs> and then it kept happening. And I realized it was just like how, how folks were saying hello. Like, I think, you know, I believe in Baltimore because Baltimore believes in itself too. I think that's a big part of it. You know, like these programs that are popping up over the last couple of years, like the Made in Baltimore program is it's just so unique and 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 it's supporting makers in this in this city that need support like when we first started there wasn't you know there was not a lot of resources for us but it was it was doable but now it's just it it really feels like the community has come together in in almost a very organic way and it doesn't feel forced and and there's just there's so much so much good happening in this city right now that um pandemic or not is it's it's just really beautiful to see amen, amen. <laughs> so here at govins uh we care about the community hopefully as much as y'all do at hex ferments um and we talk about that by saying we ground our work in stories whether that's our neighbor's stories our own stories um, but certainly stories from our tradition and for christianity that means in part the bible um, but we always try to approach it in an open-minded and critical way uh, we value these texts not because we think they address and answer every question we might have um, but rather they're a place for dialogue where we get to push back against and ask questions um, and have our own lives and actions questioned as well. And so each week we take a moment with our guests to read part of a Bible story um, that we're going to discuss as part of worship at Govins. And then we have a dialogue. Um, what's confusing, challenging, awesome, not so awesome about that story that we've read. And what we love about it is that it's a conversation outside of just our tradition uh, because we love being in dialogue with people uh, that claim Christianity, that aren't sure if they want to claim Christianity, or if they have no tradition uh, whatsoever. Um, it's all good, and we love that conversation. I was trying to remember the last time I did any Bible study, and it was high school. And I was like, ooh, I wonder what we're going to read. This is exciting. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, similarly. I, I can't actually place the last um, time I've discussed a Bible story, but um, let's do it. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, let's do it. All right, Pastor Tom, will you read our story for us today? And sure. Yeah, that's great. Let me give a, just a little uh, context for this one. It's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. And what's happened right before this story is the story of the empty tomb. And so Jesus was crucified, and they put him in a, a grave or a, a tomb for three days, and then some women uh, among his followers of his disciples went and checked out the tomb and we're going to take care of the body with some anointing oils and things like that. Uh, and the body wasn't there. And then they saw an angel uh, and the angel said, he has risen, he's been raised from the dead. And so this is, this is a resurrection story. And then immediately we jump into this, what's known as the uh, Emmaus Road story. Oh. So Luke 
Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through 32. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, yet he was executed by crucifixion. Now, as they walked along, Jesus continued to teach them many things, yet they still did not recognize him. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road? So uh, Megan and Shane, what are your initial responses to the story? What, what stands out to you or surprises you? It's a food story. It's a food story. That's right. <laughs> the uh, the magical bread. It, it, you know, it's interesting. Um, the the word ferment is from ferver from Greek um, to rise, oh. um, and um, a lot of times it's likened to the bubbles rising in you know bubbling crocs or in kombucha even. Or um, to get excited, you foment. Yes, and I, I I can't help but think of the bread as a fermented. Um, <laughs> food and it's leavening and uh, rising in parallel to this this story yeah i love it i was struck by the two the two men who um were so caught up in i guess you could almost say the gossip yeah i was just kind of taken taken aback by their sort of they were so engulfed in just the story of what had happened that they didn't even recognize that this other person was whom they were speaking of. But they were also very welcoming and, and invited him in. And they need to do more meditating. <laughs> yeah, I was I was struck by that. I was this kind of stayed with me. I don't know why. I guess yeah, that's what challenges me a little bit. Those are two great, great observations, and we can talk a little bit more about both of them. Um, Let's talk about that sort of angels among us, you know, uh, yeah. unaware kind of aspect of it. You, you have a nice conversation with somebody, but maybe because we are caught up in our own preoccupations or whatever, we don't realize how, what a what a blessing it is just to be talking to this person and what yeah. an amazing amazing person it may be. Well, and that's what I love so much about this story. Just reading it right now is just how ephemeral it is. That, like you better be meditating and getting ready because these points of connection and aha disappear so quickly. And if you're not really paying attention, you're going to miss them. I love that. 
Yeah, and to, to that point, and um, funny enough, Megan was the one that finally, like so many things before, kind of knocked me on the head with. Uh, I had talked a lot about it for a long time and dabbled um, over the years, but um, since January of 2020, I've been uh, a daily meditator and it's been really fantastic. Um, it's changed a lot of the ways that I allot attention, um, not to say I, I wouldn't uh, ignore the angel uh, amongst me, which I'm sure I do plenty of times, but I, I try not to. <laughs> well, yeah, and the, I mean, the story says at the end that they, they knew their hearts were burning within them as he was walking along the road with them. Um, and so there is that um, mind, mindlessness Mm -hmm. of not paying attention to our bodies and not to, to our spirits. And that as you practice meditation, as you practice prayer or whatever your tradition, you become more aware of the present moment and of your body and hopefully are aware when your body is saying, hey, something amazing is happening right here. You need to pay attention. Well, and I think that's the other interesting food connection too, right? Like the knowledge here in this story is not I have made an argument and I understand the syllogism to prove that this is true, but it's an embodied knowledge, right? Like, like my body tells me this is good. Something must be happening. <laughs> and yeah. that sounds exactly like what y'all are doing. Yeah. And that, you know, a lot of times, especially when people are um, asking for uh, advice on foods, um, so much of it starts with just that awareness, like, um, you know, paying attention to how food affects you. Yeah. What about eating together? I mean, that, that's the other place the story goes is they, it wasn't until they sat down together and broke the bread or had the kombucha and the sauerkraut or whatever they had. And uh, sudden, that was what, that's what made the difference. Have you experienced, have you experienced that in your own lives? Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think, <laughs> yeah, like food brings people together. I mean, that's, there's something so beautiful about, you know, gathering around a table and breaking bread or opening a jar of you know sauerkraut or cracking open a bottle of kombucha that it it, it just it it puts everybody on the same level mm -hmm. and everybody is there because they need to nourish themselves but also like I feel like the act of uh, even just digestion gets people um, maybe thinking outside of themselves a little bit, you know, as they're chewing and they're looking at one another and they're talking and they're coming into that moment, they're nourishing themselves, they're nourishing one another. Somebody had to prepare that food and that took time and that took love. It, it's for us, that's what we're really, I think, looking forward to in the new space is this moment when we can really come together and be with, be with the community and, and, and work with the community to, to show them that, you know, or present that there's there's this whole cornucopia of different drinks and foods and beverages that are made right here in in Maryland and how that can bring us together. And, and we're really spoiled um, because we do get a lot of our food from uh, fellow farmers and producers. And before we eat, we make a point to always thank those people and sometimes the list is so long and we know like 
who made this and who made that? And thank you for the parsley and thanks Dimitri for the olive oil and thanks. And it, it goes on and on. And I think that, you know, that sitting around a table, enjoying food together, it slows down time. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things I loved about your store in Belvedere Square, and I assume will be true in the next one is that you could look around the shelves and see the food fermenting. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it was also the production space. And so a lot of times you'd go in to, to buy something and somebody would be sh mashing cabbage into one of those big jars. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that was like this other level of time slowing down that you, you know, there wasn't just slapping a frozen burger on a grill or what, a quick fry and some fries. It was this long process that time, time was slowing down. And I always got that impression from you all too, that you were just very present and enjoyed conversations with, with your customers. Um, so I, I, I see this, I see your business in all over the story from the Bible. Oh, oh, that's cool. I, it's neat for you to say that too about time because that certainly is something we talk about a lot in the context of modern life and kind of what we were both doing as professions when we made, you know, pretty abrupt um, turn into being elbow deep in kimchi and sauerkraut. Um, but yeah, that's a, an acute observation for sure. Speaking of the embodied part, you know, I really, uh, of, of food, I really do experience that with kombucha and sauerkraut, both of this, this feeling of well being after ingesting something like that. It can just be just a little bit, but it's, it's yeah. something changes. Yeah, we'll have to have you come by and see the production space at some point. Oh, I love that. We can get real uh, microbial. It's, um, <laughs> I was, I did, um, every Friday I go through all of our things that are fermenting. So we have, I think we have 30 stainless steel fermentation tanks with something in it at all times. And I was saying to Shane, I find such pleasure every Friday with that task because I have to slow down. I have to be present and I have to be again, that, that steward of the ferments. And I love going through every single tank and saying, Oh, how are you guys doing today? You know, <laughs> what kind of surprise are you going to show me today? And it, it, it just, it, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm, I'm doing them, doing the ferments their due diligence, you know, giving them what their full due is. And I'm not just, mm -hmm plugging in a CO2 cap and walking away. But um, we really care about what we make, you know, not just our workers, but, you know, and our, and our space, but that final, final, you know, jar of sauerkraut, we, we, we tend to it from the very beginning to the very end. Yeah. Shepherds of invisibilia, I think Shane said. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to use that in a sermon sometime. Let's keep turning uh, back to the work. I think this is the perfect segue. Um, I'm wondering, as we think about the work you're doing in the community, are there lessons or insights from the story we read about bread and wine um, that are applicable to what you're doing or what you hope to do in the community? Oh, gosh. Sure. Yeah, I mean, 
biblical for men's. Um, we hope to have um, at this space in very much the same way that it was at that table, you know, and if we can have a space for people to break bread and, and eat with intention. And discover, um, discover something maybe new about the food system or about fermentation. Yeah. That, that's, that's exciting. That's all we could hope for, really. I mean, that's, that's a multitude of, of um, connectivity, just getting somebody in the door and having them, you know, be curious about what it is that we do. Mm. That really, and that really just kind of touches on our, our last kind of question for the, for our program is our, our vision for the community going forward. And uh, especially for the York Road Corridor in particular, we're very interested in, you know, being on the York Road Corridor as you are. Um, what, what are your hopes and dreams for the, the larger community uh, that will be realized because of your continued work? I, I feel like there's so many facets to that. Um, I guess because I'm really, it's, it's top of mind for me right now is I would love to hire more people directly in the Gobins community and, you know, be a, be a first job for someone or um, an opportunity that maybe wasn't there before and they discover that they really like food production or talking to others about the local food system. Mm. That's that right now is, is top of mind because like I said, I, I wanted to create a place where I would want to work and mm. a good That's job awesome. is to come by. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. And be just vital members of the community. Yeah. York road is a complex zipper. Um, between neighborhoods, um, you know, and so many interwoven complexities. Yeah, it sounds like you yes. all you all have a vision for what your what your part is. It's a, it's amazing. This has been a lovely conversation. I just can't thank the both of you enough for um, what you've been doing in the community. This the Soul Kitchen um, and offering meals to the community that that really. That's close to my heart, and I, I just really commend you. I'd also like to thank you um, for making the time and all the great questions and twists and turns. And <laughs> yeah, what a treat. Yeah, we'll have to talk more about ways we can collaborate. We would love that. It'd be good. good That'd be awesome. Well, thank you so much for making time and for just starting this conversation. Uh, we hope that this is just the, the launching pad for, for more collaboration. Uh, more storytelling and, and more work together. And thank you for being part of that. Us too. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. That's it for our conversation with Hex Ferments. Thank you so much for joining us. If you loved what you just heard, help us spread the word. Help us by leaving a review and rating us wherever you're listening to this podcast and by subscribing on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. 
Likewise, we want your comments, your questions, and your ideas. What should we be talking about here? What's going on at Govins that we don't know about? Send me an email, billy at govinsprez.org. And stay connected to all the great things that Govins Church is doing by following us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, govinsprez.org. And get excited because our next guest is Pastor Tom himself. We'll be discussing his upcoming sabbatical this summer and his writing project on vegan interpretations of the Bible. And we'll have some special guests joining us as well for that conversation, so make sure not to miss it. Now, until next time, let's go and believe in Baltimore and enact all the ways that we believe in the goodness of Baltimore. And as we go, may we see beauty every time we open our eyes and hear truth every time we listen. May we breathe every breath as a blessing and walk humbly upon the earth. And may we live in love for ourselves, for others, and even for our enemies. And so may we live in the presence of God. 